0: I went to a marvelous party. Max, most people -hmm. don't even (laughs) know the
1: facts. The underlying ideas don't don't have enough depth to last for the entire season.
0: (laughs) Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through the dot with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. <laughs> Good evening. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and you're listening to the live cast of The Dinner Party Show for January 13th, 2013.
1: And tonight, we will not be talking about pastors. Period. We will not be talking about anti-gay pastors, or pro-gay pastors, or sorta gay pastors, or everyday pastors. We are sick of every headline about gay rights having something to do with a pastor. And we would like to advise all presidents, current and future, that if you pick a pastor to do anything relating to politics... Something bad is going to happen that distracts from whatever agenda you're trying to advance in the moment. So enough with the pastors already. I don't care if it's the inauguration or the immaculate conception. I don't want to see another tweet or Facebook posting with the word pastor in it for at least another month.
0: Enough said. Mm. Also tonight, we will not be talking about Lance Armstrong and whether or not he's willing to admit to what's been officially and scientifically proven and accepted to be true. We don't think accepting reality is actually newsworthy. Also, we figure he will, as always, do more than enough talking about himself to cover for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. We'd rather talk about people who aren't liars and cheats.
1: Mm -hmm. Also not on the table tonight, we will not be talking about allegations that there is a major twist in the current season of Downton Abbey, which began airing here in the States a week ago tonight. If you're British or one of the few Americans who managed to watch the British version, of the show in advance just so you could lord it over everyone's head, please do us a favor and shut the fuck up. We know something big happens and we could probably figure it out if we thought about it hard enough, but we're not going to. And we're warning you, gentle listeners and everyone we know, don't spoil it for us or there will be consequences. We've already had one guest walk right up to the line and we certainly don't
0: need another. That means you, Ted Johnson. Also, we will not be talking about minting a trillion dollar platinum coin to fix what is actually not the problem with the U.S. government's financial management. We will only discuss the possibility if they can mint a coin large enough to drop on all those anarchist (laughs) members of Congress who are opposed to paying the debt that they themselves keep running up. That's right. The president isn't actually empowered to spend a dime. Pay your bills like the rest of us, Congress and shut the hell up about it.
1: We will also not be talking about the Golden Globe Awards. Sort of. Okay. Okay, true. They're happening right now. That is, if you're actually listening to our live cast and not one of the many repeats on our streaming player at thedinnerpartyshow.com. Or our podcast on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Subscribe, subscribe. While we will be announcing the winners in some categories, much like an airplane pilot will do for passengers during a highly anticipated sporting event, we would just like to remind you that the Golden Globes are voted on by 93 people. That's right. Mm-hmm. 93. More people are currently listening to this show. I hope. Uh, Here's hoping. But who's more relevant and has better taste? The Hollywood Foreign Press Association or you guys? The choice is
0: yours, but in the meantime, we're sort of not talking about it. And we will absolutely not be talking about Republic jerk, Maryland lawmaker Don Dwyer, who took his anarchist opposition to equal rights for all Americans to a new level when he blamed his drunken boating accident, which injured four children, on the passage of a law that would allow all citizens of Maryland equal marriage rights. Even the gay people Dwyer apparently hates so violently that the mere thought of their being afforded equal protection under the law as guaranteed by the constitution caused this anti-american anarchist to be struck drunk and crash his 27-foot mm-hmm. powerboat mm-hmm. we won't be talking about you we hope soon to be former representative dwyer but we hope you're talking to a professional
1: absolutely everything else is still on the table for tonight's live cast of the dinner party show
0: and now, here to deliver tonight's provocation, it's the Dinner Party Show's very own travel consultant, Tanya Lee Musgrave. Oh, hi, hi,
1: Yeah, well, I don't much like to pray because my knees haven't been so good since I went rollerblading along Turtle Creek with Mr. Donald Drummond, my widowed friend. But I, I do believe there is something out there, even if it is more sort of alien in nature. You know, like... One of them thought-reading tentacle things. It's always crash-landing in places far out in the country enough to get covered up. Anyway, I, I digress. Excuse me. But whatever it is, God, angel of mercy, great Chewbacca, I know if it can hear anyone, it's these two very loud gentlemen who have this here radio show. So I ask that it... I don't know, bless or sprinkle magic dust or shed some of its alien scales down onto this little dinner party of theirs. They seem like nice people, even if they are a little light in their loafers. I mean, hell, who isn't in the entertainment industry these days? Anyway, all right, amen, I guess, is what you say at the end. See, I was a Methodist for a while, but. I don't know how much to take the rest of all this. I just went for the potluck, but I'm all for being good to people, and I'm all for eating a whole bunch, and that seems to be what God's all about. So no matter what you wear on your head when you talk about them, here we go. Let's bless this dinner party. Amen. Let's eat. My dear friend, Tanya Lee Musgrave, another person who is not at the Golden Globes tonight.
0: Uh yeah, what an, an orthodox choice, uh, having our travel agent. Well, you said you didn't want to talk about pastors, so I guess it's the perfect I, it, opportunity it, to have the travel agent do the uh, the provocation. The term
1: is travel expert. I'm not sure why we're downgrading you, her to travel ha, agent.
0: Have you met Tanya?
1: I have met Tanya.
0: I have actually met I think met she's Tanya. expert in not Traveling.
1: Well, you know, she's about how the to not travel. The not travel expert. You know what? Tanya is a very well-read woman, and I thought she would bring a little bit of alien conspiracy theory to our provocation segment.
0: Well, she kind of touched on it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad that we were able to uh, peel you up off the floor after you walked in and oh, saw what our beloved cameraman had done in our studio. God.
0: <laughs> I am going to find Tim and kill him a million times. I could not believe it. It looks like... I don't know, bad trailer park wiring in here.
1: Okay, let me let me background this a little bit for our listeners. We we want to bring you video eventually of the show, but we want to have a camera system that's kind of up to snuff, and right now it looks like we when we do record the show, it looks like we've been caught stealing something, <laughs> and we're trying to make a quick escape. Um, so we had some wiring issues relating to one of the camera, and Eric spent so much time making sure this studio was absolutely sparkling and beautiful, and every guest who walks in here kind of says the same thing, and now we have... This really big dangling wire going from one of the cameras to the and I didn't want Eric to notice it while
0: we were live. Oh my God! So I told him right before we went on the air, and I thought he was going to kill somebody. I'm completely freaked out. It's almost too bad you didn't get to experience me experiencing it live. I know. Here, I'll photograph it, He's and I'll see if I can't it. if I can't manage to uh, post it to something oh, on Facebook or somewhere. Happen. That'll, that'll happen, happen at yeah. some point during the show.
1: Absolutely. Well, welcome a, a belated welcome. welcome Welcome to the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Derek Shaw Quinn. We are competing tonight with the Golden Globes, which we said we would sort of not talk about, except uh, we have asked you, our listeners, to come up with fake winners in fake categories. Uh, for us tonight, and we will also apprise you of some real winners in the real categories, airplane pilot style, as I like to say. We also have a wonderful guest here tonight, Ted Johnson, who is the deputy editor, or one of many deputy editors of Variety Magazine, and he's brought a special friend with him. A special friend? A special friend that he plays dodgeball with in Toluca Lake.
0: Can other people see him?
1: (laughs) We're gonna see when he comes in. I believe his name is Tim Williams.
0: Well, nobody's gonna see anybody. This is a radio show, so No one will actually see it. I would just
1: like to say, let me me stop you for a second. I think we figured out who didn't turn the volume down on their devices because that tweet you just posted made
0: a live on the air. And I was
1: accused earlier of not having silenced my
0: electronics. It was your iPad. And that just because I'm guilty doesn't mean you weren't guilty, too. Okay. Maybe it was mutually assured guilt. Right. And we're such professionals here. We wouldn't want to have odd background noises here. Just weird wiring.
1: Absolutely. I did ask one of our previous guests to take his elbows off the table because he was literally rocking the entire setup as we were live on the air. Do you remember which guest that
0: was? is this a quiz? It is. It's a surprise I, pop quiz. Could I win something? <laughs> it was Ted Casablanca. I was going to guess Ted. You you didn't let me guess. I, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, I need to call a lifeline <laughs> if I could. I'd like to phone a friend. <sighs> Your friend's here. He's doing the show with oh, you. Oh, that's great. And next week, we have one of my favorite favorite authors, the lady who I really have to say is largely responsible for me being an author in the first place, mm. Patricia Nell Warren. I Absolutely. read her book, Front Runner, when I was a kid and didn't know even know who to tell, didn't even know what being gay was, let alone who to talk to about it. And it was such a connection with the world that I was not alone. I, I remember even thinking then, if I can do something like this for another gay kid, I will. Absolutely. And, I kind of hope I have. Absolutely.
1: She's a wonderful woman, too, and a friend of the show, and, I, and I'm thrilled that we're going to have her here. We're also going to have the incredibly oh, handsome Ronnie Kroll. That hot who, Ronnie Kroll. The, oh boy, what was boy. he on?
0: He, Supermodel he search? He
1: the one openly gay contestant on Make Me a Supermodel, and he has now the launched... The key word being openly. Openly, right, exactly. Uh, he has launched a PSA campaign. I'm not sure if that's exactly the right term for it, called the Friend Campaign, which is an anti-bullying campaign that also sets out to to teach people how to be a better friend in order to counteract bullying. Ah, it's not just... I may
0: buy you those DVDs? Oh, yeah, really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's designed just for young people, and I'm far too old now, as you often point out. Really old. Absolutely. So that's what we have coming up for you tonight and in, uh, next week on The Dinner Party Show. But I think now we have a very special report from Breck Artery.
0: They're always special.
1: They're always TDPS News takes you live to Breck Artery at the offices of the Discrimination Equity Foundation. Breck?
0: This is Breck Artery coming to you live from the headquarters of the newly formed Discrimination Equity Foundation, or DEF for short. In our increasingly moderate political climate and the corresponding decline in the success of the race and bigot baiting tactics popularized during the Nixon days and brought to a fine art more recently, there are new calls for something that's being described as discrimination equity. We're here with Bob Weiss, the executive director of DEF, one of the leaders of the growing and often heated field of discrimination equity. Mr. Weiss, thank you for being with us.
1: Thanks, Breck, it's a pleasure to be on TDPS News. Thank you for bringing much needed attention to this growing area of civil rights advocacy.
0: You're welcome, Bob. Now, if you could walk us through just exactly what the hell is discrimination equity? Well, I'm glad you asked,
1: Breck, as the last elections made painfully clear to old rich white guys and bigoted assholes everywhere, the days of discrimination as a political wedge issue are
0: in decline. Yes, it seems moral outrage over slurs against minority groups is quickly replacing the moral superiority of the bigots who used to win elections for the disingenuous jerks who were manipulating them and their blind, ignorant hatred of complete strangers. But in the vacuum created by the declining numbers of bigot-based appeals, there is a corresponding, rising number of minority groups emerging in the expanding field of disingenuous, discrimination-based moral outrage. As you might expect, inequity has developed in the area of Discrimination. How does this inequity affect voters and other minorities, Bob? Well,
1: Breck, some minorities are benefiting from a higher degree of moral outrage than others.
0: I see. So discrimination counts more against some minority groups than others? That's right,
1: Breck. Take President Obama's recent nomination of on the record bigot and former arch conservative Republican Senator Chuck Hagel to be Secretary of Defense. Clearly, the man is eminently qualified to oversee the post war downsizing of the most bloated military budget in the history of the world. But that said, Hegel, a Republican from Nebraska, earned a 0% rating from the Human Rights Campaign 3 times for voting consistently
0: against gay rights. True. Among other things, Hagel voted against extending basic employment non-discrimination protections and the federal hate crime laws to cover gay Americans. Still more heinous, in 1998, when then-President Clinton nominated prominent gay rights advocate James Hormel to be the ambassador to Luxembourg, then-Senator Hagel opposed the nomination based entirely on the fact that Hormel was, and as far as this reporter knows, still is, as Hagel said, openly, aggressively gay. In light of his recent cabinet nomination, Hegel has apologized to Hormel. Not in person, mind you, but in a public way that Hormel might have heard about. Not sure if he has apologized to gay people, but the point here seems to be that the Hegel nomination is not receiving the degree of moral outrage that the political climate might otherwise suggest. Enter Bob and the folks from the Discrimination Equity Foundation.
1: We are asking for the implementation of something we call Wysetab. Sounds like a new cult. NOPREC, it's an acronym. It stands for, would you say it about a black person? For instance, would you oppose the nomination of an ambassador for being aggressively black? And if you did, would there be political fallout for you? Would you ever be able to be nominated again? Could you just say, I'm sorry, at a press conference and then sail on to be the civilian head of the most powerful and expensive military force in the history of the world? Not to mention administer the ongoing repeal of don't ask, don't tell. Or I guess, in this example about African Americans, could you be trusted to oversee desegregation? I mean, if so, where's
0: Trent Lott? He probably needs a job. So Bob, you're saying that some groups are benefiting more for being discriminated against than others. Well, Breck, I think what I'm saying
1: is that all of us are not receiving the benefit of weeding the bigots out of contention for any jobs in public service for being bigots. Would a former Nazi be eligible to be ambassador to Israel after saying he was really sorry about the whole Holocaust thing? Well, I
0: I suppose not.
1: Or, on the other side, let's replace the phrase wise Latina with savvy black woman. Would members of the U.S. Senate attempt to impugn the Qualifications of a black woman for saying she was and would use the judgment of a savvy black woman? Or for that matter, can you imagine senators, even from Alabama, using the phrase savvy black woman over and over again hundreds of times in a hearing or saying to the media they had concerns about the savvy black woman phrase? Or worse, would they say, as one senator on Sotomayor's side did, she said she used the phrase, but she will not be using it again. Clearly, she is something Someone who learns from her mistakes. As though the senator was speaking of a third grader, not a US appellate court judge. Uh- I suppose, I suppose you're but right. would the media come completely unhinged if someone referred to a gay candidate as being articulate? Okay, I think we have your point, Bob. What we at DEF want everyone to hear is that discrimination applies equally to everyone. Equal discrimination for all. That's right, Breck.
0: Why Satab? Uh, would you say it about a black person? And if you wouldn't, then shut the hell up. And for those like Senator Hegel who already have extensive records as staunch and influential bigots? Then it's time to work on your memoirs not your resume we need true leaders running the most powerful country in the world certainly food for thought bob thanks for joining us live on tdps news till next time this is breck artery wishing you good night and good dinner you're listening to the dinner party show with christopher rice and eric shaw quinn the dinner party show we will be the judge of that
1: Okay, we have some Golden Globe winners to announce to our audience. I was going to hit the fanfare after, but okay. Okay. We would just like to announce... That uh, Maggie Smith has won the Golden Globe for Best Character on a PBS series who turns into a flesh-eating alien. Oh, God, is that the twist? I was pulling for her. Oh, Lord. Uh, Caleb Hillman has let us know that Nicole Kidman has won the Golden Globe for Best Throwing Arm for her work in The Paperboy. Wow, that's what she was using it for, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. It's <laughs> not the plot twist I heard about that movie. No, 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 no. Um, okay, so that's enough for the Golden Globes for now. We have, a, we have kind of a very special sort of semi-serious tribute to do tonight.
0: Yeah, it's a sad week in California and Look at everywhere. This. Look at
1: this. I'm sorry, I thought that clip was longer. <laughs> we lost a a California television personality but he was he was known kind of all over the world. He was featured on The Simpsons. They did a little satirical He
0: was an institution
1: His name was Hugh Hauser and he was the host of a show called California's Gold Well that was one of the many shows that he was actually a host of and His deal was he would get a threadbare camera crew together and he would drive all over California and go to these wild, beautiful places and sort of quirky, offbeat places and just interview the people who work there. And a lot of them were not camera ready. They were sort of nervous park rangers, but they were very enthusiastic about what they were doing and and where they were and and how they worked. I want to read a quote from A Remembrance of Huelhauser by Thomas Lennon. Do you know who
0: that is? Thomas Lennon? Didn't he overthrow the government of Russia? I don't think <laughs> Do you think I that think was a that different one. Lennon? No. Was he one of the Beatles? No. No No,
1: but it's spelled like the Beatles, L E N N O N. He plays the quote unquote gay cop on Reno nine one one, the one with the short shorts.
0: Because the other ones are so much not gay. <laughs> I
1: guess so. I, I, I didn't realize he was a fan of public television, but he actually authored a Remembrance of Huell Hauser, which was on the KCE website. I think everybody website.
0: was a fan of Huell Hauser. really no was. disliking. I bet he didn't have any mean things said about him. I think that's what
1: we're seeing is uh, when, when I was introduced to Huell Hauser, I thought this man cannot be serious. I mean, I would listen to things like this. Look at these flies they're everywhere look how they move i've never seen anything like this these are all flies look out
0: there at that oh look (laughs) wait a minute wait a minute i'm having a fly
1: experience here
0: he was Absolutely. always eternally enthusiastic.
1: He was, and this is what Thomas Lennon had to say of him. Huell was like a Terminator sent from the past instead of the future to make us appreciate the things we take for granted. When I woke up in the morning, I realized why I had cried over Huel's passing, and it was simple, because Huel Hauser was the opposite of the internet. We have shrugged our way into a world where everyone is supposed to be a critic of everything all the time. Look up anything you are interested in online, and below it you will find a comment section where people, from the comfort of their homes, compete to be the first one to say that it sucks, in all capital letters, he writes. You know, like, it's. A, I think it's a wonderful point, you know? And you raised, when I gave you that quote the other day, you also raised the point that that Internet criticism happens from home from people who aren't, you're usually
0: experiencing the things that they're right. commenting on. Hewell actually went out into the world and experienced life and shared his enthusiasm for it, and we will miss you, Hewell. I know everybody at home now is just glued to the television set. Well, I hope not, because this is a radio show,
1: Hewell. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Hewell Hauser, and here we are in the northeastern part of Pasadena on Jefferson Street. And our destination is this nice little house here you know how many people I've had, I've heard complain about having to go to Pasadena?
0: <laughs> Crap. I live in LA. Let alone Jefferson Street. Oh, my God. Absolutely. What a hellhole. Absolutely. Well, I'm tempted to just burn through all
1: those hotkeys we set up, but I think that would take up the whole show. We have a whole screen of Huell Hauser clips loaded onto our computer. But he was an infectious, uh, charming guy. Yeah. You know, he yeah. really was. And he will be very much missed. He will be very missed. Thank you, you Hugh. Thank you, Huel. And I And I uh, have been told... That there is a movement afoot to have a statue of him erected in Griffith Park, which I think is a wonderful idea. In the bushes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, hold on. Oh, crap. You can't make me laugh. I can't do this.
0: (laughs) I would have thought the cat would have been more. Oh, oh, Oh,
1: I got it. Here we go. Yeah. Uh gentle listeners, we promise you our use of the hotkeys will become more seamless. All right, you you were all on about something before tonight's show. You've got you're on a just mission. Just the one thing. Yeah, just the one Actually, thing. Actually,
0: this is my annual push and I'm just going to ask people to join in. I I do not believe that the publishers clearing house is a real thing. I think it is a massive fraud that is being perpetrated on all of us and the reason I don't believe it is because I am Five degrees of separation from Teddy Roosevelt. I can count five people in my own... Like, obviously, Teddy, you know, died a couple of years before I was born, but... He was dead before I was born. He was dead before I was born, and I am still only five degrees. And I do not know one single person who knows anyone who has ever won the Publishers Clearinghouse. I know people who've won mega—you know, not personally, but, like, I am one degree separated from people who've won lotteries and game shows and just about everything else that I can think of. But I don't know anybody, so I'm asking if you know somebody— who has? If you have won the Publisher's Clearinghouse or if you know somebody who has won, so one or two degrees of separation, uh, who's won Publisher's Clearinghouse, let us know. Post and, and, it on and, our page.
1: Here's what's not to do, okay? Because Eric usually posts about this on Facebook once a year. And someone will inevitably post a link to the Publisher's Clearinghouse website, which isn't helpful and doesn't address the issue. Which is that we don't know anyone who's actually won. Right. We've you, seen the commercials of you, the people walking up the it, front steps.
0: It either has to be you or someone you know personally yes. has won. I don't want to hear stories about, it. I heard about some mayor in some town. Yeah, I heard all those. They do it every year. But, like, who are these people? Who actually wins? So help us expose this giant American fraud, this huge tragedy. What do they win? I, this year it's $5,000 a week for Ever, Like, you can leave that in your will to other people. $5,000 a week? For the rest of your life and then for the lives of your heirs. Oh, weird. That's uh, okay. a lot of money. And not, you don't just win
1: magazines? No. <laughs> Five thousand magazines a week, right? For the rest of your life, right? That's it. All right. Well, this has been a, a, a dazzling hors d'oeuvre section. We will miss you, Hauser. We will await being told about you, one winner of the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes, who's or out there somewhere. Be the
0: people who broke the story that it was just a big, you know, made a, up a big fraud.
1: fraud, absolutely total hoax. And now it's time for a word from one of our very special sponsors. <laughs>
0: Hey Don, why the long face?
1: Hey Steve, oh gosh, it's just this situation at work. The guy in the next cubicle is driving me nuts. He keeps playing death metal on his computer all day and he won't use his headphones. My supervisor says the best she can do right now is give him a warning, but I've got a huge project coming up and there's no getting any work done at the house once the kids get home from school. I really don't know what to do. Well Don, have you tried
0: physical violence? What? physical violence. What? You mean like beat the guy up? That's one option. Look, even though it's gotten a bad rap in recent years, physical violence is a time-honored tradition religious and political regimes have used to put a stop to individuals they find threatening to their survival. If it works for Christianity, it can work for you, right? I don't couldn't i get arrested oh don't let all those silly csi shows fool you true most americans believe we have that level of forensic science at work in this country but the truth is they aren't willing to pay the tax dollars needed to fund it and with the federal government eliminating more and more jobs every day it's doubtful we'll have any cops on the street at all by the middle of next year face it don there's never been a better time to commit physical violence
1: I I never thought about it that way, Steve, but what if I do get arrested? I don't want to go to jail just because my office mate plays loud music.
0: It won't. You'll go to jail because you beat the shit out of him with a baseball bat. But look at the news, Don. The likelihood of that is very low. Ever heard of Casey Anthony? These days, you would have to set fire to your own mother in front of the jury to be sent to jail for anything, unless you're black and you had crack cocaine on you. No, Don. Any way you slice it, from a legal standpoint, the climate for physical violence has just never been better. I know, but still, it just feels kind of wrong. I understand. But just look at the other successful people who relied on physical violence to get what they want. Right, like Joseph Stalin. Or President Barack Obama. He won a Nobel Peace Prize while presiding over two foreign wars. True. Come on, Don, aren't you tired of putting your faith in institutions designed to tend to someone else's needs besides your own? Doesn't that sound a little bit like Socialism? Yeah, now that you say it like that, it does. Exactly. Just because it's often used in drunken bar brawls that happened at two in the morning in places you'd never set foot in doesn't mean physical violence can't work wonders when it's handled responsibly by religions, politicians, and popular music stars. That's right. You're damn right it
1: is. Thanks, Steve. I'm gonna go get myself a baseball bat right now. Knock him dead, slugger.
0: Oh, wait, not dead. Just rough him up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Will.
1: See now! Oh, boy. <laughs> Brought to you by the Association for the Advancement of Physical Violence as a Means of Conflict Resolution, otherwise known as the NRA.
0: queen of the stars here with a real dirt on what the constellations are up to and how you can read the signs before they read you. Is that an arrow in your quiver, Sagittarius, or are you just glad to see me? This week, romance rules the stars as Venus transits Capricorn, a cosmic combination of hard play and hard work combined to make it the perfect time for relationships to get serious when romantic Venus takes ambitious Capricorn by the horns. If you're feeling a little shy, this might be a good time to take a little romantic risk. You might find that being shy is just an excuse for being lazy, right Aquarius? I mean, does a house have to fall on you? How long can you keep flirting without ever doing anything about it? Are you a water bearer or a water boy? The new moon in Capricorn on the 11th will have many of us considering our options and leaving bad situations in favor of ones with more promise. So tick-effing-tock, Aquarius. Time and the stars wait for no man. Now is the time when all the signs in the zodiac should be keeping their eyes peeled for new opportunities in life and in love. So this week, it's time to get moving or it's time to get a move on. You decide, Aquarius. Get going or get going. Till next time, this is Tuan reminding you to watch out for the stars.
1: The Dinner Party Show with Christopher
0: Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Soup's on. Back again, although I'm honestly not sure why, is The Dinner Party Show's very own critic at large, Jordan Ampersand. Here to talk about... Wait a minute. This can't be right. You actually went to the White House Correspondents' Dinner? That wasn't until April. I
2: love you.
0: I cannot believe that you managed to get an invite to... Wait, you you what,
2: me? No, seriously, I think you're amazing. I love that you always make jokes, even though they're like stuck-up people jokes that are about things nobody understands, like <sighs> reading and shows that aren't on Hulu. I love that you're stuck up and you make jokes.
0: Wow, somebody slipped something in your drink this no,
2: weekend. No, seriously, I love you. Well,
0: Jordan, that's very kind of you, I guess. Do
2: you love me, too? Let's
0: move on, shall we? Okay, so I'm looking at the show notes, and it says
2: here... Oh, my God, okay, you, I met the most amazing guy, and I just have to talk about him, because he's so incredible, and he makes me feel okay, so good about myself, and he's totally hot, and he's, like, totally important, Jordan, too. Also, Jordan, he's got Jordan. this amazing Okay, okay, okay,
0: with- okay. Let's slow down here just a little bit. Now, technically, your role here is that of critic at large, and I'm not quite sure if talking about the guy you're seeing fits that description, but... If it will explain how you ended up at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, then I guess we can go ahead... Okay, okay, so this is
2: going to be very hard for me to talk about, but I am involved in a romantical relationship with a very important American senator.
0: As opposed to a Brazilian senator? No,
2: seriously, he's, like, really important. He has a BlackBerry and an iPhone, and he goes to the airport in a town car. Do
0: they have senators in Brazil?
2: Why are you talking about Brazil.
0: Sorry, so you're dating a senator. Well, uh, there are like a hundred of them, right? So, which one is
2: it? I'm not allowed to say.
0: Oh, well, so glad you brought him up, then. Can you tell us where you met him? At Craigslist.
2: Um, hello? That's like where everyone meets everyone now.
0: Or just buys old furniture. Can you tell us what state? The Senator oh, done.
2: it's a new state.
0: A, a, a new state. Yeah,
2: they're totally making one. It's going to be between Arizona and Ohio.
0: It's going to be made up of all the land in between no. Arizona. Oh my and God! Ohio. Don't
2: be ridiculous. He says it's just going to be like somewhere in there. <laughs>
0: What pretel is the name of this brand new state they're supposedly creating? They
2: don't have a name yet, but oh. the important part is that he says it's going to have a lot of willow trees because those are my favorite and I can totally open a store there once they're finished. And what
0: kind of store would you open in this new state?
2: I don't know. I'm not really sure I've found my voice in retail yet, probably because I've been doing so much work on my YouTube.
0: Yes, that video of your shopping trip to Bloomingdale seemed quite labor intensive. Oh, i imagine. It took a lot of work to call that clerk a fat cow because she caught you trying to shoplift an Alexander McQueen salad mixer. Oh,
2: my God, you're totally watching my YouTube channel.
0: How could I miss it? I I got a real special kick out of seeing that great Dane at Will Rogers Beach mistake you for a fire hydrant. Fitzpatrick
2: hiding. wasn't supposed to post that one. Well,
0: he did. Bless you, Fitzpatrick. Okay, we've wandered very far off course here. Right,
2: back to my store. No,
0: Jordan... The correspondence Dinner. Uh,
2: honestly, if I had to open a store right now, it would probably Ugh. sell my two favorite things. Donuts and... Oh, it starts with a D, but I can't remember my other favorite thing.
0: Diapers?
2: No, be serious, Eric shaw Dates? No, it was such a fun thing, too, because I was going to call the store Double D's.
0: Bra. You're not helping. And you're not telling us about the White House correspondence Dinner.
2: Oh, whatever. It was lame.
0: Lame? I see. Okay, well... I presume your date was this unidentified American senator from a state they haven't finished yet who bought you on Craigslist. Is that correct?
2: It was. Only we had to leave early because someone texted him a threat to his life. Oh, dear. Yeah, so he took me home.
0: Home? You have a home in Washington, D.C.?
2: No, here in L.A.
0: He blew you home from the White House Correspondents' Dinner because someone sent him a death threat by text message? No,
2: we drove. I never
0: thought I'd say this to you with a straight face, Jordan, but I'm missing something here.
2: Well, I mean, I don't know if you've heard, and, like, I don't want to be disrespectful or anything because I know people get really excited about it, but the White House Correspondents' Dinner is, like, totally lame ever since they moved it to Pasadena. (gasps)
0: Uh, As in Pasadena, California. Yeah,
2: and all they talk about are these things called muscular dipping trees, and I don't even know what those are. At first I thought they were hors d'oeuvres, but then I was like, why is everyone crying and talking about defeating them? I mean, who tries to defeat an hors d'oeuvre? Just eat it. But everyone was dressed really nice, though. Everyone as in the president and the first lady? No, they don't come anymore now that it's in Pasadena. Oh, that's terrible. I know, isn't that lame? Yes. What are muscular dipping trees?
0: I'm not sure, Jordan. Well,
2: do you think they're like candy? Because everyone kept saying they were really bad for children. Jordan,
0: how serious are you about this guy?
2: Oh, my God, he's so hot. He looks just like my dad if my dad was really hot.
0: Jesus. Okay, but... How interested are you in the long term with this senator?
2: Well, there are only so many more times I can dress up like a Boy Scout and let him put honey all over Okay, my well, we and- don't
0: need to know all about that, Jordan. Look, I, I don't mean to be the spider on the valentine here, but it sounds to me like this guy's not actually a senator. And according to Google, the next White House correspondence dinner isn't until April. I'm sorry, Jordan, but... I think this guy took you to a muscular dystrophy fundraiser and just told you it was the White House correspondence Dinner.
2: What's muscular dystrophy? Oh, Jordan. So there's not going to be a new state? I haven't heard about one, and I'm a pretty smart guy if I do say so myself. Um, you do say so yourself all the time. Wait, does this mean I don't get to open a store? Well, you
0: couldn't remember the other thing you were going to sell, so it's probably it for the best. It starts
2: with a D. Well,
0: think of the other things you like that start with a D. Oh, wait, don't do that.
2: I'm not going to open a store that sells dicks. That's gross. I don't really like other things that starts with a D. Drugs? You don't need a store to sell those. (laughs) What are the things I love? I love frozen yogurt. Maybe I was going to sell dick-flavored frozen yogurt. Maybe
0: you should just... Get out now, Jordan. You're not helping. And I don't plan to. Now get out and go break up with that conman senator you met on Craigslist before he takes you to a bathhouse and convinces you it's a sculpture garden at the National Gallery of Art.
2: Dimples! That's the other thing I love that starts with a D. Oh,
0: you can't sell those out of a store You either, can
2: make Jordan. them for people who want them if you have the right machine.
0: Good thought. Go out and try some power drills and get back to me. Okay. No, Jordan, Jordan, that was a joke, Jordan, Jordan! You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for the soup, brought to you by your perpetually victimized gay brother.
1: I will have you know that I am writing a play about all of you.
0: The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it.
1: Okay, and we're back with the dinner party show live. Jordan Ampersand has left the building. How did it go with you two this time? It you was know, in the bathroom.
0: I would I would say that it is once I once I uh, you know caught up with him and got that power drill out of his hands, I, I think things were fine. Okay. Yeah, uh, power drill.
1: I don't want to... You know what? I don't want to We'll talk about it. it. We'll talk about it in
0: the post-show review. Uh, We have Golden Globe
1: winners to announce. Um, We already announced that Maggie Swift... Smith, excuse me, won. Maggie Swift, Maggie Swift, Jonathan Swift's younger... So that's a literary joke. Uh, Game Change has won for Best Miniseries or Motion Picture Made for Television. Julianne Moore also won for Best Actress in a TV Movie or Miniseries Made for Television. Uh, Damian Lewis has won for Homeland and... Christoph Waltz, is that his name? Waltz. Waltz. Waltz has won. And that's, you know, all we're going to say about the Golden Globes because they repeat later tonight. They're playing live now. Right. Um, but they repeat later tonight well, on NBC. maybe they're already
0: repeating now. When did they actually take place on the East Coast? Let's, like,
1: Let's introduce our guest, who I have rolled right over. Ted Johnson, the deputy sheriff of Variety magazine.
2: Yay! Thank Good
1: you. Thank you. That's actually a lot louder on the air than it is in here, which is why we stopped talking during (laughs) it. Thank you. It's amazing how many people
3: you can fit into this small room. I know, right? Okay,
1: Okay. now they can get out. Now they can get out. Let's get these children out. Get out, kids. Get out. And you brought a very special secret friend with you. The
4: anti-Ted.
1: The anti-Ted. Yes. Tim Williams.
4: Tim Williams. uh, He is a writer, very talented writer. And uh, I worked with Tim at TV Guide, where he was an editor over at TV Guide. And uh, we had a wonderful career. And Tim, uh, why don't you
3: say we had a wonderful? <laughs> and then it was over. Yeah. What? <laughs> and then it, everything just—you <laughs> brought me out to pasture. You yeah. Are, yeah, that's true. And then okay. the
0: interwebs came along and exactly. wiped us all out of business. <laughs> right. The, the television show Revolution is based on our career.
1: Tim Ted, Ted was so eager to hog the spotlight. He didn't tell us much about you. Do you have anything really embarrassing you want to share with us? Why embarrassing?
3: On why did you jump right to that? Maybe I have something I'm proud of that I'd like to share with How about you. A both. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, One of both. No, I I probably, I should just say, yeah, I was a writer at TV Guide with uh, Ted, and we worked together, and then I now do a little bit of everything, but um, mostly in the PR world, so I do a lot of um, movie PR.
4: Okay. Oh,
1: yeah? Obviously, you're both individuals with no shortage of opinions on everything that's going on in the world of entertainment right now. And considering that Eric and I are the biggest thing in entertainment right now, it's right. It's really you can't go anywhere without hearing about the two of you. Really, really amazing. We were thinking (laughs) of not if you're uh, listening
0: to this show while you're going.
1: (laughs) 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 We're going to have vans with loudspeakers broadcasting this show all over Los Angeles. Um, So, uh, Ted, we wanted to talk to you. You wrote a big article in Variety this week. Vice President Joe Biden flew to Hollywood to have a meeting with. Uh, a lot of entertainment industry executives, not so much studio executives, but the heads of organizations like the DGA, the MPAA, Chairman Chris Dodd. And the topic was what?
4: The topic was violence. Uh, Just a little bit of a a clarification here. Uh, The meetings actually took place in Washington at the White House or the old executive office office building. Fire that fact checker. Not at the
0: Century Century City Mall. (laughs) But it
4: was uh, it was uh, what's happening is uh, Vice President Biden uh, all last week is doing these meetings with different groups as he comes up with a plan to haul, try to uh, figure out a solution for all the gun Which violence. Which they're announcing
0: Tuesday, right? Probably on right. Tuesday, yeah.
4: yes. Uh, so they're not kidding. They want to get these Good right them. out there and keep everything going. We've waited long well, enough. While it's still in people's memories. As part of that, President Obama said he wants to take a look at the culture. What that means is look at uh, gun violence in movies, gun violence in TV, gun violence in video games. Uh, so, so it's uh,
0: specifically gun violence, not just violence, but gun violence in particular, or violence in general. In the probably violence meeting. in general,
4: you know. Um, but uh, th- the fact of the matter is, uh, there's not a whole lot that the government can actually do. I mean, this people miss the point often. Uh, the Supreme Court back in 2011 uh, made a decision where they overturned a law, a California law, actually. That uh, banned the sale of violent video games to minors. Now the decision was so broad that it really kind of closed the door on any serious government action where mm-hmm. the government could say, "You cannot sell this type of violent programming to uh, a child." Uh, in contrast but to the rated, obscenity, are Don't they, they have are,
0: some sort of rating the, on them?
4: Yes, they are rated, but those are all voluntary. That the industry, uh, whether it's getting into an R-rated movie. Uh, whether it's the TV ratings, whether it's violent video games, that is all self-policing uh, by the, me, the government doing it. So once
0: again, we're going to expect parents to actually do their job.
4: Well, yeah, and that's the industry's point. You yeah, know, but that, there
0: are some market punishments
1: for movies, at least when they don't have a rating. Isn't that correct? There are some theater chains that yes. will not carry you if you're not a rated film. And is there something equivalent for video games? I guess would be my question.
4: If they're not rated, I uh, I don't think there is. Um, mm-hmm. it, but I also don't think that a lot of retailers now will people... carry it without that rating. Well, there you so go. I guess That's would the be. equivalent
0: regulation. Yeah, I guess that would be, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'm so Walmart, to... I mean, we had to do – when I wrote the books with Pam, we had to do different book covers just to be in Walmart. So I would assume that surely mm-hmm. big retailers like that would have an impact on those sales and it becomes maybe not entirely self-policing. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think that... How do people acquire video games anymore? Honest to God, I'm so removed, like... Atari was the end of my connection to video games. I don't even know if that exists anymore. Actually, well, Pac Man was
1: deemed so violent they took it off the market. Okay. It really, the yeah. thing is, eating people. I mean, that
3: is <laughs> so disgusting. Right? It was not Hann-
0: in a good way either. Let me tell you. Video it game. was yes, violence exactly. and it encouraged
1: overeating. It led to our nation's obesity right. epidemic. So
0: Michelle Obama's really opposed to Pac Man. <laughs> yeah. Lady Pac Man in particular. Absolutely. What
3: companies did Biden meet with? Were there specific uh, manufacturers that, that he met with?
4: Well, this is the interesting thing is Biden met on Thursday night with people from the movie and TV business, and then he had a special meeting on Friday with the video game industry. He met with Activision. He met with some of the, all of the major video game mm-hmm. publishers, including the Video Game Association, and I think they thought that he was singling them out. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of lawmakers on Capitol Hill have identified video games specifically as opposed to other media, and say we need to do a study of what the impact right, of violence absolutely. is because it should be held at a different level because it's interactive, absolutely. people are shooting. My question to you, Ted, way?
3: though, is it a year from now will we be looking at movies and they'll be any less violent? No. Will we be looking at? I mean, <laughs> I mean, and that's a good question for really us guess, to talk yeah.
1: about. We're going to have a brief word from our sponsor. And when we come back, I also want to talk about why Biden didn't meet with actual filmmakers, with writers and directors. He met with the heads of these various organizations. But right now, we have a word from one of our sponsors. It's terrible when illness or tragedy strikes in the life of a young child. But it's even worse when that same child is subjected to the self-promotion of a has-been celebrity desperate to convince their viewing public of what a good human being they are. At the Name Drop Foundation, we work to prevent celebrities from using young people afflicted by illness and tragedy as part of their manipulative
0: public relations strategies. The people from the Name Drop Foundation were a godsend, literally. Before they placed armed guards outside Susanna's hospital room, the barrage of stand-up comedians was literally endless. I mean, I didn't know who most of them were. My husband said he'd seen some of them on Love Boat, or maybe it was Match Game PM, I'm not sure. The point is that the Name Drop Foundation brought us an end to all of that so that our daughter could get some rest. My
1: country is torn apart by famine and war, and we ask for aid from the world, and instead we get lady who has sick come on many years ago. I never see because I never own
2: TV, and she come and touch our head and smile and cry a little, and then she leave, and the helicopter that take her away blows away half our market. I don't want this lady come anymore. I need help from Name Drop Foundation.
1: Young people in crisis need our love and support, but what they don't need are self-obsessed celebrities using them as publicity ploys while doing almost nothing to address the underlying causes of their potentially fatal crisis. The Name Drop Foundation has used cutting-edge statistics to document the disruptions to hospital functioning and transportation networks that celebrities cause almost everywhere they go. In the past year, we brought an end to the danger caused by celebrities who attempt to make balloon animals even though they have no idea how and end up injuring themselves and demanding the immediate medical attention of nurses whose primary job is to deliver chemotherapy to cancer patients. Our Early Warning Network identifies those celebrities with arrests and convictions for drunk driving, spousal abuse, public sex, and anti-Semitism. In other words, those very celebrities whose reckless desire to visit sick and tragedy-afflicted children may be motivated by rapacious self-interest. So visit our website today and learn how you can become part of our celebrity deterrent helper network, the Name Drop Foundation, giving kids a chance by getting celebrities out of their way. You're back with the dinner party show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Our guests are Ted Johnson, the deputy sheriff of Variety Magazine. Actually, that's deputy editor. And Tim Williams, one of his former colleagues from TV Guide. And you were saying there are some accusations I, swirling around Ted's history at TV he Guide? He is the deputy sheriff, though, because he's wearing a hat and a badge
0: right now. <laughs> oh, we made him put that <laughs> that's on. Oh, a weird that's sex game that we're playing after the show. Sorry, Absolutely. I got yeah. confused. Yeah, it's all right.
3: Um, it happens. Yeah, Ted had an interesting, and he can go into this a little more in depth, but uh, whenever we would, uh, Ted had interviewed a lot of people, and a few weeks later, he would interview them for TV Guide Magazine, not just in his personal time, and he would <laughs> interview them, and uh, a few weeks later, they would die. And so we yes, there were there were people was that there were an very investigation? suspicious. There was no investigation. Just just amongst the maybe, celebrities. Is it too late to
0: start. I don't think there's the statute of limitations <laughs> on that. But I remember Milton Berle.
3: Uh, Ted went and interviewed Milton Berle, and a few weeks later, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. It was Berle a couple died. Months later. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> you yes. asked him what he thought of Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> well, you know well, that you know the thing that 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 Milton <laughs> Berle was right. known for was the size of
1: his yeah. manhood. Uh, oh, that's and, what I've always heard. Yes. Yeah.
3: Um, and uh, he had a, um, a contest with the great Forrest Tucker on who had the largest also member. Also heard that. Um, who but, won? Do um, we know? I believe Milton Burrow
0: won. How was the contest in, conducted? That would be no. what I would like. Well, and, I didn't cover the contest. <laughs> no. Well, what did you ask? Ted was then? the judge. I mean, who the hell else cares? <laughs>
3: um, but that when Ted was going to go do the interview, I asked him if he was going to ask that question. If if he could take a look at Milton's. Uh, Best asset. We
4: did not. We did not. Yeah. And
3: yes, (laughs) (laughs) he started to take it out, and he passed. Blood (laughs) loss. (laughs) Blood Blood. loss
0: to the brain. Right. He passed out and hit his head. (laughs) Oh my! We did not. We did not get to. Who were some of the other
3: celebrities you interviewed and who died? (laughs) Who were the other celebrities you murdered?
4: (laughs) There was actually there was an actress, and I can't remember her name that I interviewed, and uh, she from from the time I interviewed her to the time that the story was published. passed away.
0: The Jessica Fletcher of TV Guide. so, uh,
4: so, But but that's the fact of life in the media business. We have, all newspapers have an obit file, and uh, every once in a while you have to write advanced obits, mm -hmm. so they're ready when someone passes away. You just did yours live. I just did mine live, (laughs) yes. So so So. the one
3: that I remember is we always, (laughs) we had one for a long period of time for Bob Hope. Because you know he we were ready to be an old man.
4: Did he make a hundred or did he hit ninety nine? He, he did make it two hundred. Yes.
3: And one day, this was probably when he was around ninety nine. Uh, we got a call um, in the office. Uh, maybe it was an internet story, and someone said uh, Bob Hope has just passed away. And um, the editor from the magazine came to my desk and said, "Will you call? Because I dealt with um, some of his people. Will you call over to the the Hope's home and ask if this is true?" And so I called up, and uh, there was – um, there, there was he had a PR person who I think actually lived with them or was at the house.
4: Yes, yes. I think he lived at the house. Okay.
3: And so – and he answered the phone, and I said, I'd like to find out whether uh, – I hate to ask this, but I'd like to find out. We just got uh, word that Mr. Hope has passed away. And then the person said – there was silence, and the person said, no, I, I, I think he's still alive. <laughs> I said, okay.
0: <laughs> I didn't know what to
3: say. I said, okay. Could you check? And so he, I heard him put the phone down. A little
0: Bob.
3: And then, exactly. <laughs>
0: yes. I, am
3: not, I heard the footsteps <laughs> click, That's click, fantastic. click, The door open, and then him coming back, the footsteps, and then he picked up the phone. Nope, he's still alive. I just pictured him going in there. Are you still alive, Bob? (laughs) That's excellent. Putting a mirror under the nose, a little bit of fog. Okay, yeah, excellent. Well,
1: speaking of dead relationships, we have a special report from our relationship expert, Jonelle Sams, but when she's done, we will be back here at the dinner table with Ted Johnson and Tim Williams to talk about more dead celebrities and also maybe to share some fond recollections of Huell Hauser, who we lost this week, a local and national television personality. But in the meantime, here's Jonelle Sams. Jonelle Sams once again, for The Dinner Party Show's Homemade Relationship Advice with Jonelle
0: Sam's. Hi, this is Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have a relationship question, you can send it to me, Care of The Dinner Party Show's Facebook fan page, or at jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. This week... Homemade relationship advice might make you blush, but it could save you from a bushel and a peck of embarrassment later on. Our red-faced dinner party show Facebook fan writes, Dear Jonelle, I need some of your expert relationship advice. My dear sweet husband of 10 years recently gave me a certain gift for the holidays. And I found out when a nosy lady from the health department called and told me I should go see my doctor and get tested. Imagine how horrified I was when I was told I had something called chlamydia. I don't even like shellfish. When I confronted Jimbo about this, he told me that he had used a public restroom at some place called Steamworks. Sounds like one of those places where my handy husband likes to pick up a tool or two. And he is sure he must have gotten it from a commode seat. Jonell, I do want to believe him, but is it possible to contract such a thing that way? If so, then I'm going to tell all my friends to stay out of restrooms and especially at all those truck stops on the interstate as God knows who uses them. Thank you for your advice ahead of time with Deep Concern, Worried in Washington. Well, Worried, ordinarily I'd say don't look a gift horse in the mouth, but some presents can't be returned even when they don't fit us. I have no idea how your local health department busybody found out your husband had been cruising the aisles at Steamworks and you may want to look into that, but if she's that nosy, you might be better off not to ask anyone at the health department or the government. They have our best interests at heart, but unless you're invading a hostile Middle Eastern country, calling them in on a personal problem is like asking all the king's horses to help put Humpty Dumpty back together again. How much help can they really be? No, Worried, if you are confused and have questions that have you concerned, do what I do. Ask your husband to explain it to you until you understand. That's just what I did after reading your letter. I changed the name from Worried in Washington to Vexed in Virginia, so don't you worry. One nosy Nelly in this story is one too many and more than enough. As always, Merle set my mind right at ease. Like that time I found him asleep on the sofa with women's makeup all over his face. Well, of course I thought the worst, that I had lost my Merle to another woman. One who wore a great deal of makeup. But Merle just laughed and laughed. Turns out he and his best buddy, Alton Lee Pew had been play-acting at a lodge meeting. There are no women members at the Golden Bears Poison Creek chapter, so Merle had stepped in to play one of the lady parts. Of course, he didn't want to come wake me up trying to take off all that makeup in the middle of the night when he got home late after a particularly long lodge meeting, so he slept on the sofa. Now, not only did my imagination run away with me, but Merle was quite good at removing his makeup with his extensive background as a thespian. He wears more makeup than I do. So you see, worried, Merle settled my suspicion about another woman, and we both had a good laugh at my expense besides. Merle says that Steamworks is a respectable chain with branches all over the country. Why Merle has visited the Steamworks branch in Dallas when he and Olson were there at a Duncan Fife convention. Turns out that's some sort of furniture manufacturer. Anyways, Merle says Steamworks has an excellent reputation and some of the finest tools he's ever seen. Real value. And what's more, scrupulously clean toilets. Merle says if your husband picked up a bug, it was probably at the health department, since that's where sick people go. It also might explain how come that medical meddler came up with her tittle-tattle about your husband being sick. What's more, Merle knew all about this clam disease your husband brought home to you. It's not even as serious as the flu, and a little penicillin will have you and your sweet husband Right as rain. Of course, I couldn't help but ask what your husband was doing at the health department in the first place to pick up the case of the clams. But Merle has learned to be so patient with all my questions after all these years. He pointed out that your husband was probably just getting a flu shot to try to spare you from bringing that home to you, and that wicked health department harridan was probably just trying to cover her tracks at your husband's expense. Your husband was probably just too big a gentleman to call her out for it. So there you are. Without even knowing your right state or your husband or anything about you, Merle was able to give a better explanation of what happened than your far-fetched worries about truck stop restrooms. (laughs) Why, if those were dangerous, Merle would be dead and gone by now. What with all his running up and down the highway with his good buddy Olson, Merle spends half his life in public and rest stop restrooms. See? Worried. That's what husbands are for. Their number one job is to make us feel better. So why get all worried when you can just ask your husband to explain things to you in a way that you'll understand? And I can tell you from personal experience, when I don't understand right off, Merle just keeps on explaining until I do we must always end up laughing at how silly i've been i'm sure mr worried will have you making fun of yourself in half a minute when you get him to help you to understand it's like my merle always says Jonelle, do you want the truth or do you want to be happy only your husband can give you both till next time i'm joanelle sams with homemade relationship advice
1: if you have relationship questions, write to Nell, Care of the Dinner Party Show Facebook page or to jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com.
0: My health tip is to wash your hands frequently and keep some Cepro in the medicine chest. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The dish is served. In response to plunging circulation and declining ad revenue, the editors of the New York Times have taken a series of bold steps to maintain their position as the newspaper of record. Their most groundbreaking move, announced just last month, was that critic Janet Maslin would now be reviewing gay porn. Here's Janet Maslin with her review of Spunky Boys, Volume 11, Billy Takes a Hot Shower.
2: If you haven't
1: seen any of the previous installments in the Spunky Boys series, you won't be at a loss for understanding the rather spartan plot devices at work in Spunky Boys Volume 11, Billy Takes a Hot Shower. This rudderless, overly long affair is structured around a series of sexual encounters involving live young men whose prepubescent nature is alluded to by their hairlessness and their occasional, if inexplicable, tendency to bring a skateboard with them into the disheveled, badly lit room in which they copulate with other young men, much like themselves. To say that Spunky Boy's Volume 11, Billy Takes a Hot Shower, is lacking in momentum would be to dismiss the filmmaker's evident hostility towards grounding this endless series of repetitive encounters in anything resembling a plot. At one point, one of the young men expresses a fondness for Britney Spears, but the earbuds of his iPod are soon ripped from his ears by a taller, also thin and pale young man, who, upon unceremoniously removing his flaccid penis from his board shorts, flatly suggests, why don't you enjoy this instead? This stilted exchange is just one example of the sodden, credibility-strained structures on which this unscripted and underimagined failure of a film attempts to rest. Had the performers themselves expressed any passion for the proceedings, perhaps the director of Spunky Boy's volume 11, Billy Takes a Hot Shower, would have managed to raise the temperature on these proceedings by at least a few degrees. But as it stands and crouches down and bends over and rolls over onto its back. The encounters depicted lack the frisson required to inspire arousal in anyone but the most dedicated viewer of hardcore gay male pornography. Perhaps the filmmakers were trying for some form of variation when they had two of their performers enter a running shower together, but the quick edits that follow do nothing to conceal the evident discomfort of these young men, as they are forced to maneuver against and into one another in such a confined space. Overall, the contorted grimaces and startled sharp grunts of these young men would feel more appropriate to an unwelcome medical exam and not a series of allegedly spontaneous erotic encounters in one of the messiest guest bedrooms this critic has ever seen. Furthermore, no explanations are provided as to setting and locale. By the time eight anonymous young men have passed through the bedroom in question, the viewer is left to wonder, whose house is this anyway? And the billy of the title, just like the premise of this mess, is never clearly identified, not even in the depressing interviews included in the deeply ill-advised special features on the DVD. If Billy was one of the young men who squeezed himself into the shower, then why did they only call each other dude and bro? Perhaps questions such as these are the smallest concerns for any viewer who comes to Spunky Boys Volume 11, Billy Takes a Hot Shower, looking for anything on the order of a transportive narrative experience. This is pornographic filmmaking at its lowest, most obvious, and least inspired. One hopes that the young men on display here are saving the money they've earned from this film and hopefully spending some of it on a trainer so that they might appear in the considerably more high-gloss fare put out by Falcons studios in titan media i'm janet maslin for the new york times and this has been my gay porn review you're listening to the dinner party show with christopher rice and eric shaw quinn and now it's time for the
0: dish Brought to you by your mother, Mistress of Guilt. (sighs) That's okay. Go ahead and step on my foot. Why would I need to walk anywhere? I haven't been anyplace nice in years. The Dinner Party Show.
1: Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. And we're back. And we're back. And we're back. And Ted Johnson and Tim Williams are at the dinner table with us. Ted Johnson, the deputy sheriff of Variety Magazine, as we're calling him. That's really, that title is deputy editor, one of many. And Tim Williams is his former colleague who has all sorts of dirt and scandalous stories about Ted's history at TV Guide. We're going to talk Oscar nominations and Oscar snubs, but first we want to bring you some Golden Globe Awards news. And I'm sorry, but you already missed it, but... President Clinton introduced Lincoln as a nominee. That's the big news coming out of the Golden Globes. Live World. or William on video? William Jefferson Clinton. That's a good question. And you know what? I'm going to follow, thanks to the miracle of Twitter, I'm going to open a photograph in the next five or ten minutes, and he was on that stage.
0: Here well, we go. it's a good thing that it's being recorded at my house and we'll play again at 8 o'clock on NBC. it's a good
1: thing all of you are listening to the Dinner Party Show, Oscar snubs. Ted, I don't don't know if I remember two snubs as high profile as this, the snub of Catherine Bigelow as Best Director for Zero Dark Thirty and Ben Affleck as Director of Argo, both of which were nominated for Best Picture. Am I forgetting something in recent memory that may qualify or compare?
4: Uh, I I can't. You're right. I can't think of anything. The level of of response.
0: I mean, there've been snobs that have happened, but the people just freaked out. It surprises me that Hooper is not being included as one because he didn't get nominated either. You're kidding? No. Well, this is this is
4: the thing. Is a couple years back they they uh, increased the number of pictures that go for best picture, and so it can be anywhere from I think eight to ten now who are nominated. And then the directing category actually is a lot more important now because the people who are nominated for director, now that is viewed as the people who are really in contention for Best Picture. So if you get a director nomination, you're probably – have a good shot at getting Best Picture. If you don't get a director nomination, you probably don't have that great of a shot. Tarantino's
1: also facing that, because
4: he was yes. nominated for Best yes. Picture,
1: but not Director.
4: So, uh, but he
3: uh,
1: was nominated for Screenplay, am I correct? That is true. And now, Mark Bowell was nominated for Screenplay for Zero Dark Thirty.
4: Th- that's why, you know, Zero Dark Thirty, there's this controversy swirling around it. Uh, uh, John McCain, Diane Feinstein, and Carl Levin sent a letter to the head of Sony objecting to the movie saying uh, in how it portrays torture as beneficial to, on the path to getting Osama bin Laden, they really objected to that, that portion of the movie. Um, but I think it's kind of a leap to say that that impacted uh, – the nominations and Catherine Bigelow not getting nominated for Best Direction. I can it would have Because it. Mark Boll got it. And Mark Boll is <clears throat> almost as responsible for this movie as he Catherine more Bigelow. So. Yeah, he assembled more. the source material. He assembled the, the source yeah. material. So it the, doesn't quite
0: The track. astonishing part to me is that, that instead of Bigelow and Affleck or Hooper or any of these people, that the directors of Amor and Beasts of the Southern Wild were in fact nominated for Best Director, uh, yeah, which and I'm sure those are fine films, but... Oh, don't
1: go too far on Beasts of the Southern Wild. I was left out in the cold on that didn't one. Didn't see it, say. but yeah.
0: But, I, you know, it just, it seems like such a, like, it would be one thing if they had been rolled over, but the people that were being included were all high-profile names, but they're not. Like, I can't imagine that everyone from the I don't know. Is this one of those things? The the nomination is general, right? For these – this isn't just from directors. This is from everybody in the Academy who votes on the nominations, right? For Best Picture, right? For For Best Picture. And Best – or not Best Director. No, I think they
4: go branch by branch. So Best Director is
0: only being chosen by Best Director. Yeah,
4: and that's why it was somewhat of a surprise because a few days earlier they announced the nominations for the Directors Guild and – Catherine Bigelow and Ben Affleck were among those who were nominated. So I think that's, that's why it was it was an oddity.
0: Do you think it's like a Claire McCaskill thing? Like, you know, she went in and actually donated to the campaign of that guy that she ended up beating to get him to have him become her opponent. Do you think that, I don't know, that the, the PR people <laughs> working for Spielberg and, me, yeah. and whatever went, and Ang Lee went in and paid to, to – Pump up the, well, I have the votes to say, uh, for people that they thought they would be more likely to beat in a general. A general
4: I don't think Oscar vote. campaigns have gotten that far, but I wouldn't put put it past it. You know, it being right? that situation at at some point. And I have to say though that Sony is very cognizant of what is said about Zero Dark Thirty, and they they are out there. They have you know they have, they're now. You know, quicken the response. Uh, yeah. They have. You know, they're not saying, "Oh, we're we're going to let the movie speak for itself." Um, on Friday, a, a member of the Academy appeared at this rally uh, that was um, uh, about Guantanamo Bay, but right. it was also an, an anti-torture rally, and he said. I'm I'm voting my conscience and I'm not voting for Zero Dark Thirty because I think it glorifies torture. And the studio put out a statement from the head, uh, Amy Pascal, which was, you know, unprecedented. I've never seen it. Let me let me say this and
1: then we're gonna go to a word from one of our sponsors. The genius, in my opinion, of Zero Dark Thirty is that it can be interpreted either way. The the depictions of torture are included as part of this patchwork. Because it's part of of the story. It's part of the story. And what they show very frequently is torture not working. They show two subjects specifically lying – while being tortured. And and one of the sort of starting points of the movie, and, and then I really will go to the sponsor, I promise. Really? Is, is that they, because torture has <laughs> failed, they have to resort to lying to one of their detainees, and, and they tell him that he sort of said something while being tortured that he didn't actually say. And they do it while well,
0: feeding him dinner and absolutely. taking good care of him and yes. sitting with him at a yes. picnic table. I think a
1: lot of attitudes towards this movie are very reductive, and I think the reason it's a good movie is because it provokes such strong opinions. But... We have a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back to talk Argo with our other guest, Tim Williams, who has seen the movie and can talk about the Ben Affleck snub.
0: Do you like orchestral music but wish it was louder? Do you get annoyed when you can still hear the dialogue in dramatic movies? Do you have permanent hearing loss from listening to Hans Zimmer music on your iPod as loud as the damn thing can go? Well, the Santa Monica Dramatic Music Festival Series is for you. This season, in a steel and concrete airplane hangar at Santa Monica Municipal Airport that's just a little too small, the Los Angeles OTT Orchestra will be performing the most over the top music we can find. Sopranos, who will this year once again be performing the most shrieking histrionic highlights of every opera by Verdi, Puccini, and Wagner. Join the patriotic bombast of our annual 4th of July, Night of a Thousand Drums. All this, and almost more than you can physically stand, is included in your season subscription to the Santa Monica Dramatic Music Festival. And receive VIP passes to our season-members-only Tchaikovsky Dance-Off performance. Featuring the Twyla Tharp Ribbon and Seizure Company of Redondo Beach, the Isadora Duncan Go-Nuts Rhythm Riders, and the Restless Leg Dancers as they kick up their heels to the loudest, most overproduced performances of the works of that big Russian Mo In this light-hearted and sometimes violent annual competition for the Ludwig von Beethoven Golden Ear Trumpet Trophy. All this and more tinnitus-producing broad-spectrum hearing destruction than any other music subscription outside of the heavy metal genre, combined with more pure, over-the-top drama than an ACDC and Black Sabbath doubleheader, the Santa Monica Dramatic Music Festival series. Subscribe today and find out just how much you can stand.
1: Wow, that was dramatic. Well, not as dramatic as Anne Hathaway's win for Best Actress at the Golden Globes, apparently. Justin oh, a is telling us that she has just
0: won for Les Miserables. That's, I, have ne- I've, I have not heard anybody be put forth as a lock for absolutely everything like she has been put forth this year. I haven't seen the movie yet. Can't wait to see it. But everyone says... There's not even any point in having anybody else nominated in any category she's nominated in because she's going to win it. Okay. Must be amazing.
1: Well, we were talking about the snubs earlier, and Tim, you have seen Argo. The other high-profile Oscar snub is that Ben Affleck did not get a Best Directing nod for that film. What was your opinion of uh, Argo and his job there?
3: I liked Argo very, very much. The only thing I didn't like was the last part of it. I thought the last 20 minutes was not only too long but also unbelievable. Ted's (laughs) Um, Ted's <laughs> laughing at it. I don't is know it why he la- has to start it the giggles. It is giggle. a true story. Right? <laughs> it is a true story. But from what I understand from up. Ted was that the last part is, is they play minute. very
1: loose with the facts. Really? The Tell us part. about that. Tell us about that.
4: Well, the, the there's a big chase at the end. is yes. They're getting uh, they're going to the Tehran airport and uh, they get on the plane and all these uh, security officers are chasing after the plane. That never happened. And they but drive the, uh, onto the runway. yeah yes. yes. That never well, happened. That, that and also. There's a, uh, Alan Arkin is wow. nominated for Best and Supporting Actor. Arkin. character, that's yeah, Alan I thought Arkin. the
3: Alan Arkin character might have been a few different people compiled kind of into one mm-hmm. character, but Ted tells me that character never even existed. There was no one like that. There was no producer.
1: There was no producer on the fake movie that
3: they no. were using as the cover. So but the John Goodman
4: character, he was is the real. fake director. That was real. Okay. That was real. He was a and makeup al- artist yes. he had
3: done stuff for the Planet okay. of the Apes and that, and he was the one that kind of got... Um, I guess gave them the uh, their the, credibility, you know, the credibility, yeah, to actually be Hollywood. And,
4: and they there there was a story in Variety about Argo, so that actually did pay. Okay. Okay. Now here's pick my question:
3: story. Does anyone believe that 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 Ben Affleck is is snubbed by Hollywood because there's still something about Ben Affleck that people feel they remember the Glee and all the J Lo stuff, and there's still something
0: that seems he's not worthy of Oscar? Honestly, I loved his reaction to the snub. He was like, "Really?" Because I I actually wrote and directed and appeared in a movie that was nominated for Best Picture of the year. I, I don't actually feel all that snubbed. True. He said, "At what point am I supposed to?" I wasn't nominated for Best Score either, or Best Songwriter, oh. or should I feel snubbed about those any of those things? guys? Really thing. Thing. I was
1: so humble.
0: Yeah, I, good I, for him. I thought it was really he really took the high road. Although the remark at the at the uh, the critics. Right, where he said, I'd like to thank the academy. I thought that was a nice little, <laughs> a little sort of dig. like a nice, a nice little, little yeah, a nice well,
4: little. You, you know, the Oscars they don't release the actual vote totals. I would love it if they released the vote totals mm-hmm. and by, you could see if he lost by neighborhood, like with the map, precincts, at, yes, yeah, <laughs> that he that would lost be by a certain number of votes. You know, you could, you could. We could tell, you know, and you would read more into it exactly what happened. My guess is that maybe some Academy members thought, well, he has to pay his dues. He still has a ways to go. He's going to have a long career ahead of him. Spielberg faced the same thing. Yeah. Don't you think, like, uh, Beast
3: of the Southern Wild, you said you did not enjoy that film at all. Nor nor did I. Um, I think there are certain films that the Oscars or that the Academy feels they have to kind of champion that they're going to –
1: Make this film a yes. hit. Yes, Yeah. Well, and also, Beasts of the Southern Wild is ripe for that kind of treatment because it was clearly made on almost no budget. True. It's adapted from a very offbeat, unconventional play that Without wasn't some Broadway actors. musical. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Les Mis. Without professional actors. The the young girl who's nominated for Best Actress absolutely deserves the Adorable. nomination. It's a remarkable Adorable. performance. But it is a movie that, for me, as, as somebody who grew up in Louisiana, I didn't connect its Imagery to Louisiana or its production design, uh, the clothes seemed odd. The swamp environment didn't seem very South Louisiana to me, and this I had problems with the story. The story seemed to celebrate a young girl's return to an abusive, alcoholic environment, and I just thought I'm not really sure what this says about Katrina because it, it is being touted as a Katrina movie. And it is to a degree, but I just—it I, was completely lost on me. I, 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 the movie that I would have nominated in its place was The Impossible, which was about the tsunami, which was met with an incredible degree of controversy because it's one white family story of surviving the Southeast Asian tsunami. Also
0: right? a true story.
1: Yeah, it is a true story. However, they were from Spain, and they're being played by two Anglo-Saxon actors. That, I
0: think—but <laughs> I'll bet that's not the thing they're upset about. I don't think it is. Yeah. Well, this— this is the thing. Actually, I
4: actually think this was a really good year for movies and in contrast to last year. So there was a lot of movies. I mean, as we're, you know, we're talking about yeah. here, there's a lot of different movies that were in contention and it just makes this process a lot more unpredictable.
1: Yeah, so it absolutely does. Well, we've got another installment in a special spe- series. Spiries, excuse me. The Caffeine is sinking in again. It's like
0: a hyphenate.
1: A it's spiries. Uh, it's a spiries. It's a special series. It's a Spiries. <laughs> I think Eric Trademark. is poisoning my drink. I think he's put a little valerian root in my tea so he can take over the that's show. That's not
0: poison. That's enhancement.
1: Our two guests are staying with us. We'll have a longer interview segment with them in a little bit. But now it's time for another installment
0: of Audiobook bestsellers. And now, in keeping with The Dinner Party Show's commitment to celebrating literacy and the written word, we bring you an exclusive excerpt from one of this week's best-selling audiobook titles, Tits, by Nicole Desliesio. It's the first novel from a cast member of the hit reality show, Grease Chicks. A high-spirited comic romp about one soulless young woman's adventures in Hollywood as she is humored by agents and publicists who have no intention of signing her to a contract because they are fully aware she's three minutes away from the end of her 15 minutes of fame. Hey, look, girlfriend, I got tits.
1: Nicole Deslezio said to her sassy black friend, LaShondra Brown.
2: Oh, girl, my thing, Oh, uh-huh, you shouldn't Kanye. hey.
1: LaShondra said back because that's what she always said because she was black and sassy. Nicole and Lashandra were best friends because even though she wasn't black, Nicole was sassy too. It was a beautiful L.A. day and the two best friends were walking down Rodea Drive in their juicy couture sweatpants carrying their cute chihuahuas in their Gucci dog travelers after having several wheatgrass shots after having lunch at Spago where they ate a kale casserole and talked a lot on their cell phones because that's what hot chicks in L.A. do.
2: Missing Kanye, hey,
1: Lashandra said. Oh my God, Lashandra, enough about Kanye already. Nicole said smilingly while brushing back some of her new rhinestone hair extensions that spelled out I love L.A. There are other fine black men for a sassy black lady like you to marry, Lashandra. Men like Robin Thicke, for instance. Hey, Blacker, what's wrong with you, mate? Oh, my God, Lachandra, I can't understand half of what you say. What abs? It's important for you to know Kanye just got Kim Kardashian preggers, which means she's going to get fat, and I'm going to destroy her in the ratings as soon as I get my own show here in L.A. where everything is so fun. Just then, they were interrupted in being cute and fabulous when a totally classy guy in a hot pink Maserati pulled up to the curb and stepped out wearing a leopard skin leisure suit and a rhinestone necklace that said, chest hair expert. Nicole had her own distinctive style, like having big tits and mentioning them a lot. And she liked guys who had style too, but she had a very special soft spot for guys who wore rhinestones in public. It made them rebels and individuals, and it meant they had money to throw away on dumb crap like her. Hey, look, Nicole Deslezio said fantastically. I got tits. You doing very big and nice, the guy said. Oh, shit, Nicole thought difficultly. That accent, he's like an Arab or something. That'll never work. My father will murder him if he ever gets out of jail. So they kept walking. Lashandra said something black, but Nicole didn't understand it, so they kept walking some more. Nicole Slesia wasn't willing to sell out for just any man, not even all the agents she had slept with since landing in L.A. If she was going to teach the country and the bigger world at large how amazing she was, she would have to keep her integrity and stay true to the girl who had gotten drunk and waved her bloody tampon around like it was a pom-pom on national television for an audience of millions. It was important to be true to yourself. Her mother had taught her before cheating on her father again. And sometimes being true to yourself meant telling your black friend you couldn't understand a blooming word she said, so maybe it was time for her to get some friends who talk like her. And anyway, I hope that fancy-talking guy with the glasses the publisher set me up with shows up soon and fixes this mess because I'm only five pages in and I'm so bored already and I've got no idea what happens.
0: You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for dessert. Brought to you by your sister's new husband who's had way too much wine.
2: I mean, everybody's
1: cheated at least once, right?
0: I I, I mean, am I right? The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. All right. Well, Nicole
1: Dislezio has done her audiobook bestseller.
0: My stomach is maybe not as sound as it was before.
1: Uh, Maybe not, but we're back at the table with Ted Johnson and Tim Williams. We've been talking Oscar nominations and Oscar snubs, Golden Globe wins, which are happening right now. I will say we have a lot of loyal listeners who are watching both. Well, I should say they're watching the Golden Globes and listening to us. Jeffrey Swisher has been updating us as the night goes on. He's the one that broke the Clinton appearance story on our Facebook page. Justin Simpson, our most loyal listener of all, who supplies us with wonderful art of our various special correspondents, is listening. He says he would like to meet the publisher of Tits so that he can slap them silly for saying his query letter was awful.
0: I love that.
1: Michael Minch, also a very loyal listener, would like us to relax a little bit on Argo. He says it's a movie. Of course they play loose with the facts. Drama, people. Drama.
0: Right? Yeah. So that's what I'm all about. Absolutely. You should go with me to the grocery store sometime. <laughs>
1: So I was talking a little bit about The Impossible before we went to uh, that lovely audiobook
0: bestseller. But Speaking I Speaking as I'm, an expert on being impossible.
1: <laughs> I think I'm the only one here who's seen it. Is that the case?
0: I have not seen I it. I have not no. seen it okay. either. He he may you may be the only one anywhere who's seen it.
1: <laughs> well, here's what I'll say. The critical controversy around that movie was earlier and maybe even more intense, among journalists at least, than Zero Dark Thirty. There were outraged movie critics... Over the fact that it focused on the story of this one, we'll say, European family in the midst of this enormous disaster. But again, as with Zero Dark Thirty, I felt there were moments in the movie that could be interpreted in a far more ambiguous way. You know, I don't want to give away too much about the ending, but you do know that the tsunami happens and this family is caught up in it. And if you watch the movie very closely, it isn't like, and the white people were all great and got to leave. You know, like,
0: It's the story of one family and it's a true story. And isn't it based on a book that they wrote? I mean, I I don't think it's like like I I don't think it seeks to be representative of the entire disaster. I'm not sure it's based on a book, but that's exactly the
1: point. This is an enormous disaster. How are you going to tell a movie about an enormous
0: disaster unless you pick a point of view and commit to it? Maybe the um, the Towering Inferno approach is the way to well, go. This is, do not this trash actually, the Towering this Inferno. This actually
4: brings up a point, and, the, and it's really Suggesting kind of reared it its ugly head, I think, this nominations. There's so many movies out there that are based on a true story, and it begs the question. Journalists cannot get away with dramatic license for obvious reasons, but filmmakers do it all the time right? for very good reasons. And one of the good reasons is to make a movie actually compelling, you right. have to base it on one or two person. You have to have a point of view, and that's what happened with Argo. That's what happened with Zero Dark Thirty, although uh, Tim and I were talking earlier, I would beg, I, I I would make this point, and I think that the bar was higher for Zero Dark Thirty because it is a movie about something that just took place, something that's still being debated and, and still it also, largely classified, right? Still like largely classified and it sure. also uh, it also was written by a journalist. So I think there was a lot of expectation that everything in that movie is going to be a But you guys brought up true. a
3: good point. Let's get back to the days of the Irwin Allen films. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's <laughs> <right>. get back <laughs> right. to if you, uh, you need there's an Ernest nine, <laughs> you need a Shelley Winters. And there's got, got to
0: be a morning after. Exactly.
4: exactly. I was, was going to say, with these disaster movies, where is George Kennedy? Right, no, you don't have George hey ben, Kennedy.
1: How long until Costa Concordia? <laughs> 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 the tale of a nation's shame. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But But let me ask you this. Do they happen quicker now? You know like it wasn't there a lag time you know like I I am you know I know David Morrell who wrote the novel First Blood which was turned into Rambo and he said it was years after he wrote that novel because nobody wanted to go anywhere near the Vietnam War in Hollywood Yeah that's nobody right nobody wanted to go and they did go near Iraq pretty quickly in movies and all those movies bombed. In the Valley of Elah, a wonderful movie that Eric and I both I think would, is great. That was one that bombed. should have been nominated. Other Iraq War movies bombed. Like the consensus from the audience at least was well, way too soon. Way too soon. And I think <laughs> Well, you think, think about that. Well. I think that. I think oh. Vietnam
3: films started probably a good 10 years after Vietnam ended. I mean that's when you saw that rise of those – Movies like Platoon and kind of mid eighties was that or, or yes,
0: you know, yeah. You know. Well,
4: Coming Home was. Uh, I guess and, that's true. Yeah, yeah. that's, Deer that's, Hunter that's was true, but that was a couple years Dear after Hunter. the war ended. Oh
0: my God, that was the most devastating movie.
3: Now talk about a film that is based in, with no facts at all. That none of that stuff ever happened in Vietnam. There, you know, the, there there were no um, roulette parlors. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was all yeah. of Michael Which Camino's...
4: But now uh, the. Um, the thing about Zero Dark 30 though, I mean it, it uh, you mentioned some of the bombs about these Iraq war films, Zero Dark 30 was tops at the box office, Absolutely. you know, and I think that this the difference is this is this is a good thing that happened to uh, America, you know, right. they caught Osama bin Laden. I think that that was, that was would the point people you were making like, yeah. though is
3: this film too quick? Have we are we now examining
1: this is the it too turnaround close? time, right? Like, the, like, is there any time for reflection and sort of artistic reflection on the event itself? The genius of Zero Dark Thirty, in my opinion, and I know I've said that phrase a million times, is that it adopts what I think is the appropriate storytelling style for a movie that is going to be turned around this quickly, which mm-hmm. is that it's very minimalist, it's very focused on what happened. Eric said he wishes he could I wish they say would, what you said.
0: I wish they would use this to teach filmmakers how to make movies because they just... Sat down and told me that story. And when they were done telling me that story, they stopped. I thought it was, they didn't do it 24 hours earlier. It wasn't all flashbacks. We didn't get into her her relationship with her father and why she's pursuing this because of that and none of her personal life. There wasn't a love story. They just told me this story and it was. Fascinating. It was so compelling because they just, it was the narrative. It was just a simple, clear narrative. It's beginning, middle, and end. And that. I wish I saw more movies like that. To me, that's why this movie is great. That's the laudable part. The subject matter obviously is really fascinating, but I wish they would tell more movies in that way.
4: Well, I do think that the reason that uh, this movie has been somewhat of a headache for the studio, and you have people in Washington screaming about this, you have protesters outside some of these movie theaters, is because the movie has been made uh, at a time when the history really hasn't been written on right. this. And they kind of stepped into... A uh, a war actually going on between Capitol Hill and the CIA over who is going to actually write this story, who whose version of how we got Osama bin Laden is going to be accepted as truth. And the fear, I think, among McCain and uh, Feinstein and other senators who are against this movie is that – this is going to be viewed as the version of history. But, but
1: let me tell you what is so remarkable about this movie is that there's not, in my opinion, a single scene in it where they even say it was a good idea to kill Osama bin Laden. There's it's a, that right. neutral a no, film. It just what simply it de- is the facts. It's the facts. Or and the, she's depicted they, as kind, this kind version of a of loose canon in what it shows. And what the, the closest it comes to a sort of statement on these characters is that this came at an unbelievable cost to everybody involved with it. And there's not that sort Of Michael Bay, we gotta get this guy for the sake of America scene. Like the movie never wags its finger in your face like that. There's no Lee Greenwood moment. Right. Do you feel good about America afterwards, or do you feel depressed, or do you feel. I felt all kinds of things. I felt. Um, it was it was like, uh, you know, we went Eric and I feel went we to see did it the t- right
0: thing. How about that? That's probably an easier way. I don't really know. I thought that before I ever saw this movie. Really, well, my reaction to this movie was more about as a movie, as a quality of the film than it was to anything in the content. Because as Christopher said, it's a very neutral. Do you point feel of you view. learned anything from it? Did you did was did it change your mind
3: about anything?
0: Really if anything it was probably that if that woman character is for real that yeah. was to me the most interesting fact that there was one person who that I knew that who I think pursued, was pretty close to yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There have been stories that, about that line that line of thought obviously there were probably a lot of people pursuing a line of thought and hers just turned out to be the one and so that's the one they depicted right. but but that to me was the most interesting fact the rest of it Like, what happened—I do have to say one of the things the movie did that wasn't really highlighted in the news story was the reaction of the neighbors of Osama bin Laden when there was, in fact, a raid taking place. I thought, yeah, that's about right. Like, what the fuck, man? There were these— Helicopters and shooting and all of this going on, I I would react right. if that was happening was down the street for me. It worse than North Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Almost like receipt. <laughs> I
4: didn't right. know you could swear on your show.
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. swear away. Yeah, say we're, we're say not FCC you want
0: regulated and
1: yeah, we Ted we're, just wanted to say. Gosh darn it, <laughs>
3: gosh, <laughs> darn, darn, darn,
1: darn darn it, darn it. <laughs> I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> I'll tell you the thing that I walked away from the movie that I felt like I didn't know was wow, we're gonna kill the the world's number one terrorist mastermind and we've really allowed no time at all to raid his office the seal team gets in there they take him out and we've got to get all these computer discs in these files and we've got to get out of here before the neighbors start a riot before there's a pakistani air response and i asked a friend who had actually also been um, a guest on the show greg herwitz who's done a lot of research of the navy seals and he said that wasn't their objective and it wasn't their plan and obama wanted a body And that's the only reason they didn't drop a bomb on that house, that it was a very risky move for that reason. Okay, that's a
3: question I have because I haven't seen the film. So in the film, is it uh, pretty much cut and dry that they were to go in there and kill him? I believe so. That's my recollection. That seems very,
0: yeah, that doesn't seem at all like that's in dispute. There was no
3: plan at all that they might take him out of there alive at all.
0: There really is no discussion of it, but it is really just about unsaid, yeah but, moving him but, okay. but, because she even says specifically, I don't actually want you guys. I just want to drop a bomb on him. So that doesn't seem like their objective was to bring him out and try him. I don't think anybody wanted that conversation. I certainly didn't. I think it's a great move. Yeah, and, I, I, and, they, and people consult me about national I mean, policy <laughs> issues all the time. I'm a well, real authority on that. <laughs> Loudmouth from West Hollywood, Eric Shaw Quinn says. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, that's the thing. But but to get back to that
1: question of a, of us a kind of processing time around events like these, I remember Laura Miller, who's a critic for Salon, and she writes for other publications, saying of the series twenty four, I would like a little time after the execution of Nick Berg to kind of process that image before I see it used in a primetime drama and I think there's something to be said for that but it may have to do with context I would not really compare 24 and Zero Dark 30. I think 24 <laughs> took such amazing leaps with reality. That no, that's based of like... on all facts. <laughs> if, if, um, if it were, they would still be driving and, around Los Angeles. I right. will
3: say this, and Ted is probably can speak to this also, I think that there was a time when television was yes. really where you went for the stuff with, with quick turnaround. And movies kind of gave you a better perspective on things, because they took longer. It was a longer process, and they could speak to political issues, social issues and they kind of took a little more time whereas you would have these TV movies of the week that would talk about things that were going on in our culture almost immediately. At least that's the way I got it. And now I think you're seeing feature films that are that are talking about issues even quicker because people want to see that well, in is the it, films, I And
1: some of that, and, and speak to this had this collapse of the barrier content-wise between film and television. You know, I know it's been an issue for mystery novels now in, in terms of adaptation. The film studios say, go to TV because what you can now get away with on TV in terms of filming a mystery is, is as liberal as what you could do in a movie, so why would we want to do your Law & Order episode?
4: Oh, sure, especially on uh, basic cable and that type of thing. Also, but I, I have to say that the networks got away, the broadcast networks got away from doing the movies of the week, which in the past would have been everyone would have been racing to do the Osama bin Laden movie well or like the, the Jonestown yeah. massacre when that happened there was a tv yes, movie about it Yeah, you know the, the, those every kind of plane well, crash every, that yeah exactly uh, but i that I, kind of I stuff should, used
3: to be the uh, area of television you
4: know i should say that national geographic channel did do oh, an osama right. bin laden movie you yeah. know uh, but it got and very lifetime little attention the Casey
0: anthony <laughs> oh that's, <laughs> that's right. right that's with right Rob Lowe. So, with the hot and so always there, directed love there are
4: there are you know again it is there the line are really blurred as to and I think we're probably seeing more top-tier talent doing movies on cable uh whereas in the, sure. the past they probably wouldn't be doing it. You mentioned Rob Lowe, but you but know that's there's a, other Jessica people. Lang that's a, a, great, great, a, reason, yeah, that's a great
1: point that you brought up, though, is this, that we also have these uh documentary style shows now that go in and analyze all these events right away. The Nova about Hurricane Sandy happened, what, three weeks after Hurricane yeah. Sandy? Superstorm Sandy, excuse me. Excuse
4: yeah, me a- and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean part of me says, listen, it it conveys the impression that this is something that happened in the past and that people still aren't struggling with. Oh, that's something that's in the past. We don't have to worry about the people trying to pick up in from Hurricane right. Sandy. Or so the science
1: is incomplete. The story isn't finished yet, and I think that's the objection to a lot of movies. I think it may be the objection to Zero Dark Thirty is a lot of the truth hasn't outed quite yet.
4: And again, yeah, the filmmakers also ran into – well, they didn't run into some trouble, but the CIA and the military ran into some trouble over the suspicion that they might have leaked some secrets, Mm. uh, military secrets that are not declassified yet. Now, they claim they did not. They did talk to people who were undercover, but they said that the filmmakers only talked to – only gave their – only talked to people who gave their first names, so they didn't blow their identities. So this – again, I don't, if if this was five years in the future, I don't think that they would have run into these same troubles. You Mm -hmm. Remember the
0: Revell model that um, revealed the floor plan of our submarine? Like there was a when I was a kid, I remember there was this huge scandal because they came out with this model of, I don't know, the Nautilus or whatever our nuclear submarine was called at the and time. It ba- I think it that w- was it like Jules Jules based on a real. And, was, and there was really like, like some. Yeah, they had like called the, the Department any... of the Army or the Navy and said, "Could we get floor plans? We want to make a model." And they said, "Oh, sure," and sent them over. And they made a model mm-hmm. out of it. And so the, the Russians just bought a, the rebel Were
4: model. Any... And... Were there any secrets <laughs> revealed in the movie Battleship?
1: Uh, the secret was that Taylor Kitsch's next line, according to Nikki Fink, was, will you be wanting fries with that?
0: <laughs> oh and um, you can drive those museums. That Apparently was my, that was so. the big secret. I literally, did you see it? Battled, a, oh, man. There's a little spoiler alert, but honest to God, there was a moment when they go to one of those park ship museums that's, you know, just basically a hull sitting there on the water. And they start it up and go after the bad guys <laughs> driving it. <laughs> They're driving a museum. I was literally crying. I was laughing While so hard.
1: playing the ACDC song, Thunderstruck, guess, and there's a shot where Taylor Kitsch turns and looks down this long hallway as if he's staring straight at the camera and gives a thumbs up and nods, which I'm doing right now, but you can't see because it's radio. But, <laughs> <imagine>. <laughs> but it is a god-off, it's a fantastically craptacular movie. It was really movie.
0: craptacular. I had a ball, but wow, what a bad movie.
4: Hey, I, I, I'm kind of so disappointed. I thought it was just going to be two people playing that game. Well they yeah, get to a yeah, point. There is a
0: scene where they do they that. actually get oh, to there the point is. where yeah. they're okay. playing Battleship. It takes almost the whole movie to get there, but they do eventually They've do lost the their radar movie. and
1: they're using tsunami buoys to track the undersea aliens I'm and there. they are literally in a dark control room playing Battleship. Battleship. Ted and I are working on the Hungry Hungry Hippos movie, which uh Absolutely might be amazing and
3: I'm there. Big- Yahtzee, the movie. And <laughs> I have heard that there is I've learned there remember. is an I've easy heard, bake oven movie in development. Exactly, there
1: literally is <laughs> an easy bake oven movie in development at yes. I know I people know. who say they. I learned
4: on it. long ago never Hasbro. ever joke about a uh, movie concept because chances are it's probably well, actually really when a, I when I heard
3: that Mattel had uh, that they had bought all those games, you know, for for movie ideas. I was thinking, what about breakfast cereals? That'll like be nice. Trix, the movie, or uh, <laughs> Frankenberry. Frankenberry, the, the movie. movie. Yeah, 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 exactly. So get well, ready for all those breakfast cereals. Ted
1: Johnson, Tim Williams, thank you so much for joining us tonight on the Dinner Party Show. Bravo. We say goodbye to you now. We're going to ask you to stick around in the lobby so we can take a photograph with you. And Roka, to come so back soon. soon. Yes.
0: It was nice having you at absolutely. the dinner table. Thank you very
3: much. I love being I here. I don't know why absolutely. we had to do this nude, but,
0: I mean, <laughs> <laughs> <seemed> <laughs>
1: Just save over. us on air conditioning. Okay. Yeah, that's We're true. We're trying to cut air conditioning. I'm sweating. It's unbelievable already. <laughs> right now. Eric's still mad about the Santa suit for the Christmas show. Oh, all right. Uh, we have a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back at the table with Christopher and Eric talking about what's coming up next week and with one final tribute to the beloved Huell
0: This January, NBC in its continuing struggle for both relevance and ratings that are higher than a statistical anomaly offers up a mid-season replacement that is both derivative and socially aware in that awkward way, like when people claim that one of their best friends is a member of some minority they've done nothing to support. Dr. Misdreamy, Scrubs fitting. Stat. Where is Dr. Mistrini? Why do you want to know? Do you know where he is? Why do you want to know? I am a nurse here at this hospital. It's my job to keep track of where the really hot doctors are at all times in case there is a romance or plot-advancing emergency. I haven't seen him. It's Gay's Anatomy. Another medical show where supposed medical professionals spend most of their time talking about or participating in their personal lives as they use patients and medical emergencies as a backdrop to reveal their endless parade of private demons. Then, Nurse Two, I just thought the doctor would want to know there is a medical case that is forcing an estranged father and son to address the reason for the bad blood between them so that the father can offer his son a bone marrow transplant to save the son from his rare fatal blood disorder. Oh, that is on the nose. It would be the perfect opportunity for Dr. Miss Dreamy to address his separation from Dr. Miss Thingy after Miss Dreamy turned down Miss Thingy's proposal to move in together because he didn't want to play second fiddle to Miss T's career ambitions. Well, I don't know.
1: There's also a trauma case where a couple were fighting in the car and there was an accident and the driver is fine, but the passenger is in a coma and the driver just wants to tell the passenger he loves him, but now he may not get the chance.
0: Oh. Oh, that is ironic in a totally expected way, but the bone marrow transplant father was too busy with his career. And he and the blood disorder son drifted apart When the son rebelled To try and get the father's attention Nurse, help I'm bleeding Shh, it's a hospital
1: Keep it down So, Nurse One Are you saying that Dr. Miss Dreamy Turned down Dr. Miss Thingy's proposal To get Mm -hmm. his attention?
0: Yeah (laughs) Uh, 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 uh. Well that's one less sponge bath. And the bone marrow storyline
1: could be used to tease the Misty's upcoming repressed memory season
0: finale shocker. That's what I thought. Uh, will someone turn off that stupid monitor? We can barely hear the exposition up in here coming this january to nbc it's gays anatomy the show that will reveal that gay people's lives are just as trivial and dull as everyone else's except doctors whose every personal decision has life or death consequences oh doctor there's a terminal patient i want you to meet join the hot doctors wise but quirky support staff and token minorities relegated to dead end fatal plot lines at west hollywood's oh mercy hospital for every cliche medical storyline you've ever seen before, but this time with gay people, it's Gay's Anatomy. Dr. Miss Stingy, Dr. Miss Dreamy, O.R. Plot Twist, Stan. Gay's Anatomy, the show that really puts the theater in operating room.
1: Well, that well, was quite me. a show. That oh, was what a great quite dinner. a show, and as I promised our listeners, a lot of the listeners on the Facebook page are making it sound like we're already done. We're not already done. Uh, we have one last little tribute to give to our late, great, the beloved Huell
4: Your dog is eating
0: an avocado.
1: Okay, I lied. That's not the last tribute we want to give to him. Here's
0: the second to last <laughs> tribute. <laughs> the yep. penultimate tribute. Am I in
1: Mexico now? No, we need to get you back, but oh, yes... <laughs> Oh, I'm going to miss him so much. I used to turn on his show and just leave it on and do stuff around the house so that I could hear his voice. So he will unfortunately never be a guest on The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn but next week Patricia Nell Warren will be our guest I
0: cannot wait to see I'm such a fan
1: author of the classic novel The Front Runner and will also be joined by Ronnie Kroll the gorgeous former contestant openly gay contestant Never of Make Me a Supermodel nobody's ever sorry to see him and he'll be here talking about the Friend Campaign which is an anti-bullying effort but good for him We will. Any final thoughts, Eric shaw Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) He hates it
1: when I do that to him. Are you still going to kill Tim over our exposed camera cable? I'm going
0: to hunt down our camera guy and... uh wrap that cable around his head. Absolutely. No, no, I'm just really happy to be doing the show and I really appreciate everybody listening and subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe. subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet, go to iTunes and subscribe. Even if you don't listen to it that way, we love you listening live, but it helps us to get those numbers up.
1: Absolutely. And I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And this has been The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. We'll see you back here or we'll hear you back here next week at the usual time.
0: Thanks. (laughs) Thank <laughs>
1: anticipation. The experience itself was everything I'd ever hoped for and more.